What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Smoothie. This is episode number 316. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts, and I'm here, as always, with... I'm Ron. And John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good, man. Good. I'm excited. Good. I'm excited. About life? Today, uh, life, life, and the opportunities that have been bestowed upon this podcast, one of which oh. is a festival that we're going to cover next week. Mm. Or next episode. Really what somebody, somebody call it fantastic? Yeah, it's fantastic, but it's so fantastic that we won't be able to record next week. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna like knock us down a little bit. We gotta. It's gonna knock us. Yeah, we gotta recover. We're gonna watch a ton of shit that includes a bunch of horror films in mostly horror films. Uh, so or at least it, oddball genre films. There's like genre, sci-fi yeah, stuff, yeah, kind of yeah. almost you know. But yes, there's a lot of really interesting things. There's some docs in there. A doc yeah. by our um, friend of the show, Scott Barber, who did uh, the Orange Years. The uh, that was the name of that, right? The Nickelodeon. Documentary, yep. correct. Uh, yeah, correct. Scott Barber's new documentary, "This Is Guar," about the sort of art rock, uh, heavy metal experience that you may have heard of or seen footage of, but never learned much more than that about them. But Guar, yeah. G W A R. <laughs> um, I've watched a bit of that. I was having a little bit of pr- trouble with the streaming aspect of it, so I did not see more than the first ten or fifteen minutes. But it was, it was really, you know, had the same kind of feel of the Orange Years in terms of just getting some really interesting people. Like, in the, just a few minutes, there's some really great faces yeah, that oh, you'll cool. recognize talking about this this singular band. That's pretty cool. And we're going to have yeah. some... Uh, we have access to a Netflix film uh, that we will be talking about as well that's going to be in the festival. So, like, yeah, man, it's, it's exciting. But we will be missing uh, next week's podcast, which falls on... Is that the... What week is that? Is that the week of the... First. The first. Yeah. Okay. So, first, week uh, of the first. The first. Yeah. So... Um, we'll be back uh, in two weeks with an exciting summary of what we've watched, and it's going to be pretty damn cool. I'm going to try to at least watch ten movies. That's the that's the goal. If I can watch more, that'll be even. Better. That sounds like a, that sounds like the bare minimum for you. You are like a <laughs> you're 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 like a ingestion uh, machine when it comes I like to, to get these on demand things. Yeah, I know, yeah, I, know, I know, I know. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. Yeah, I, I have no doubt you'll hit ten. And the cool part is that the app that we're using to watch and we're doing the the the, the festival at home, that the quality is pretty amazing. I mean, you know, sometimes you know we don't we don't get the the visual quality that we we desire for our right. setups of the cool 4K TVs and stuff like that. But this is this is really a cool opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, before cool. my movie started buffering, the quality was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even saying that to jo- I mean, it really because right, right. sometimes our network here, there's there's two or three people doing things at the same time that are taxing mm. the network. So it's possible Henry was downloading something and playing a game, and Nikki was doing gotcha, something upstairs gotcha. all on the same network. But but yeah, the quality of it and just the ease of use. We, we've talked a lot about the portals for these things. This was really yeah. super so clean easy. setup. You click the link, you go in, you put in your credentials, and boom, there's just this yeah. menu of uh, a lot of things I'd heard of, but also some things I had no idea what they were, and I think that's that's exciting. That's that festival feeling that we that we love. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's not it. We're also covering another movie in two weeks, right? <laughs> Did it! Did it? Did it? Did it? Is that, oh, that sounds an awful theme. It sounds like a, I was like, it sounds like keep a, going, see who guesses what it is. <laughs> it sounds like one of those like tiger little. Remember those little handheld games? Yeah, beep, 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 beep. Like, you're right. That one. Yeah. But yes, new Bond. No time to die, Mister Bond. 
It's exciting. It's finally it's exciting. coming out in theaters, and uh, <laughs> finally, you guys, yeah, you guys are going to check out the screening of it, and yeah, it'll be on the the. We'll have a. I will have an episode coming out the day it comes out, where you guys can talk about it, and you know, let you know how everything is with the, the last Daniel Craig Bond film, which is uh, kind of crazy, both in the sense that it's his last, but also that the movie's finally coming out. It seems like, it seems like one of the ones from the pandemic era that is like one of the last stragglers of like the big movies that really tried to hold out for a window to, yeah. uh, you know, to have a real theatrical release. And, and, you know, it's one of the ones that is still kind of lingering. So it'll be nice to finally, to finally see it. And, you know, hopefully people receive it well and it, it's a nice send off for him. So can't wait to hear what you guys think about that. That's a good point, Steve, um, that it was like amongst, that was like that fast and the furious black widow. I'm trying to think of what were the movies that were almost in our grasp when, when everything shut down, you know, but that was one of the big right. ones. That was one of the first big ones to like make news out of, out of jumping out of the way. And yeah. it felt right, like right. A, it already was, as you said, had had this kind of long process of getting finished. So um, better be worth it. That's yeah, all well, I gotta say. Better it looks be worth cool. It. I mean, I, it looks I, great. I, I feel odd though, that there hasn't been this sense of mounting buzz for it, but I don't know. Buzz is just different in this current age. Even if we are now accepting that movies are back in theaters and that people are doing the thing they used to do, just waiting for it to come to the home outlet when it comes. And right. But I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, maybe it'll feel more uh, like massive when I'm sitting there watching it or, or just when it gets closer and everybody's talking about it. But it, I don't know. It feels like for this to be the last uh, Craig Bond, but also just like a, a new Bond film that's got a lot of hype going into it. A lot of like attempts were made, I think, to get this one just right. Um, it's strange that it kind of feels like it's, it's coming out in that like let's cross it off the list sort of way. Right. But maybe it won't feel that way when people start seeing it. Right. right. We'll see. We'll see. In two weeks, we'll know. Yeah. Two weeks. But on two this weeks. episode, not looking too far ahead, but looking right now, we're gonna be uh, we'll go in a couple of news items like we do usually at the top of the show. But the two big feature conversations today, uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit about uh, the new Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield biopic about Tammy Faye and Jim Baker called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Mm. Which is in a, it, which is in its theatrical release now. Um, we were able to check that out together, and uh, John and I were able to check out um, a special event that they had through through Netflix and Intrepid Pictures, the production company behind the new Mike Flanagan series Midnight Mass, which comes out today when this podcast is being released. At a special event on uh, Wednesday night, <clears throat> where you could see the first two episodes of the series and they did like a little Q and a afterwards uh, via oh, zoom wow. uh, with the filmmakers producers and some of the cast stopped in to take some questions, but um, that'll be, we'll talk about that, I guess, towards the end of the show. So two, two big things. I mean, especially midnight mass, we've always talked highly of Mike Flanagan and uh, you know, it's like his next big thing with Netflix and uh, you know, the early word on it is very positive. It's as of our recording, this it's got like a 95% on rotten tomatoes, which is, mm -hmm. um, par for his excellence i think and you know in terms of what he's done with netflix and even some of his movies but um we'll and a lot of critics seem to later. have seen the whole series too so people are saying that seeing yeah. the whole seven episode run and you know, we saw two so you know sometimes it's hard to tell yeah, with this I mean, kind of show what what you think after two hours we don't have the end yet with netflix that we wish yeah. we had yeah. uh like some of the critics that you're talking about but yeah the, the, those feedback uh that early feedback's very encouraging um but yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. But before we get to Tammy Faye, uh, you guys, I think, John, you wanted to bring up a conversation, uh, a piece of news about the Star Wars franchise, right? I just think it's so funny how, 
like I mean, as as a person who grew up loving Star Wars and was kind of like a lot of people of my generation, sort of disappointed in the prequels, but recognized that that kind of was an onboarding point for a lot of other Star Wars fans. And then when Disney got a hold of these movies, I think the goodwill going into the new, what we'll call the sequel trilogy, the recent Disney movies, plus uh, Rogue One and Solo, I think that like there's so much different perception all over the map that it almost really doesn't matter who comes out and expresses an opinion about what Star Wars movies are good and which ones are bad because everybody right. seems to have their own different scheme at this point of like what was good about Star Wars and and I've almost come down to the point that it's funny that like a lot of the stuff that was lacking from the prequels is what the sequel trilogy got right and a lot of what was lacking from the sequel trilogy is what maybe if you want to give the prequels anything you can say the one thing they did have was like a plan and a story that they were trying to tell which was like a missing element of these new movies that's almost unbelievable that they missed but Star Wars is so much about the surface thrills that you can go and enjoy Star Wars without feeling like how does this affect every other thing and then you have all the television shows anyway this question of Star Wars being oversaturated everybody's been talking about it and nobody really cares what you think anymore about Star Wars because it's like, ah, shut up. I'll take my Star Wars movies and go home and enjoy them. And you can, you know, it's not a communal right. experience. But if we're going to care what anybody thinks about Star Wars, the person whose name has come up a lot over the years as like, oh, George Lucas, it was a bad thing when he parted company with Marsha Lucas, his his ex-wife, but also a person who had a hand in shaping a lot of the story, especially going into the first movie. And after that right. as well. But just this idea of someone who kind of took George Lucas as crazy, supposedly... Uh, incomprehensible script and helped turn it into something that became one of the most beloved movies and sagas uh, of the, ever put on film. Mm. Um, she has just recently been making news, or at least people are pulling these quotes of her, people have been pulling these quotes, where she has a lot to say about Phantom Menace, and she has a lot to say about the Disney era, and it's kind of like, it's not good, you know, and I, normally I would say, okay, who's this person with another opinion? But yeah, here's the person who we've been saying, oh my gosh, um, she's on that short list of people who you would say that's who George Lucas needed helping him all along to keep yeah, these stories yeah. good. And she has, I mean, just to put it in a nutshell, supposedly the Phantom Menace she thought was so bad, she actually cried because it was such a squandered opportunity, and she felt so bad for George that he couldn't make a better movie than that. And then with the new movies, she spoke highly of Kathleen Kennedy, but said that apparently she and J.J. Abrams don't know Star Wars, and um, that uh, she was furious that they killed Han Solo. Like, how dare you come to market with all these great characters and then botch it as badly as they did, you know. And again, as a person who enjoyed the movies in different ways, but also felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities there, I I take that with a grain of salt. But I do think it's kind of interesting that like, well, if there's anybody whose opinion I respect about Star Wars, it's Marsha Lucas. And, you know, that, that question of just they haven't nailed it or have they nailed it or what what is star wars without george lucas what does star wars mean at this point like at this point i don't know that anybody can tell you really like what's what do people love about star wars you know yeah they have to try a lot of different things because a lot of people love a lot of different things and i don't know i mean i don't think we need to go back in and like tell our own opinion of every star wars thing but just how do you feel about that idea of like that rosy glow Star Wars had on it when it came back in in 2015, and now how like somehow unlike Marvel, unlike even DC, they they've somehow there doesn't seem to be this panting enthusiasm for new Star Wars the way that you know people have for some of these other other movies. And Star Wars used to be the big dog where that's concerned. Yeah, I think I think Disney's just juggling a lot of plates. I mean, that's that's really what it is. Like they're a huge company that 
really has shifted its attention to the MCU in the past couple of years. That doesn't mean that these things are bad. It just means that it seems like the, the care isn't there the way that it should be. Don't get me wrong. Rogue One, to me, was almost a masterpiece. Like It was like one of the better movies I've seen in a really long time. Um, there are some See, and like, that's my, maybe my least favorite of the new Star Wars movies. Really? So that, it's, it's like, and yet, we can break bread together. Yeah, there's there's light there's there's light in some of some of this stuff for some for someone you know like I like Mandalorian I think you've kind of said no I like Mandalorian <laughs> a lot I just think the way people talk about it is oh right right it's doing so much more than it's actually doing on like a on like a storytelling level but I think that like people are looking for that what feels like Star Wars that's a Mandalorian's a good example yeah you said it earlier I've said it everyone said it this feels like Star Wars oh this doesn't feel like Star Wars you know I don't know if anybody has one thing that they think Star Wars is supposed to be but we kind of know when they get it right what do you think Steve like what feels like Star Wars to you of this new stuff and does it matter that it feel like Star Wars does it just matter that you enjoy yourself for a couple hours I think that's the most important thing I mean I do I do feel I don't feel protective of Star Wars. Like I feel like, you know, Star Wars can be something different for all of us. Just like you guys are talking about, like what the ways you receive these different movies or TV shows, like everybody's different. But I I mean, ultimately I just feel like Star Wars has kind of become this thing where to me, almost like I'm just tired of hearing about Star Wars. Like there's, there's not, there's (laughs) not, and and not to the point that I don't want to watch the stuff. Like I, I watch it all and I will, you know, whatever, if, if, if uh, you know, whatever comes to be of like a Taika film, if he does it or, or whatever comes from Star Wars, I'm like, I'll be there right away. First day. But I'm just more in the mindset of like, let me just see what comes and I'll watch it and then I'll just have my opinion of it. I, I, I don't really care for like a lot of this, like, you know, Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking of like, you know, this is what went wrong. Like, it's just unfortunately these people weren't involved you know they didn't have a hand in what these movies ended up being and you know their opinions are are welcome you know because they have a place in the history of this of this franchise of of the legacy of star wars but i mean you know part of me just feels like some of this stuff is like clickbait it's like somebody's looking for a soundbite to keep people talking about star wars and in (laughs) some ways i think that ends up hurting the franchise you know as a whole sometimes like i feel like there's a concerted effort to kind of sort of let star wars die down a little bit and to reapproach it with a more like uh, laid out approach, kind of like, you know, you were saying, Ron, like the MCU has done so successfully. You know, I think that that lack of vision that the new sequel, uh, the new uh, trilogy had is probably the biggest criticism. And I agree with it entirely. I just think that, um, and you know, I don't know that I agree that like Kathleen Kennedy or J.J. Abrams doesn't know Star Wars. I don't know that I don't know that I agree with that, but. You know, I do agree with the fact that, you know, there wasn't a real it didn't feel like there was a real vision or plan for this new trilogy. And that's going to be what just completely like floats around these conversations and the Internet and and these interviews with. And I'm not calling her random, but like an interview with a character that like really hasn't come up a lot in these conversations. You know, a person, a part of the creative process from, you know, the original trilogy that wasn't a part of these things. And I mean. I, you know, I just feel like in some ways it just continues to hurt the franchise. Like, you know, this discourse continuing, I think it's like, you know, Disney has a big win with Mandalorian and, you know, this is like, you know, a show that gets Emmy nominated and wins some of the technical categories. And, you know, the seasons have been, I mean, received with crazy fanfare in some ways more than, than some films of the newest trilogy were. 
Yeah, you definitely know, more than like The a, Rise of Skywalker. When that movie came sure. out, there was less excitement around it than there was around like season two of Mandalorian. And and I think like this, yeah, like, this Obi-Wan show they're doing now, I could see people going crazy for that too, you know, depending absolutely. on how, how it looks. But I totally so. agree. And I think <clears throat> maybe they're pivoting into a means of having more of a direction or more of a plan. And and the plan is to let it kind of slow down. And I, and yeah. they've like they've like outwardly said that. Like, you yeah. know, they have said that at these events and, you know, in some of these interviews with, you know, the powers that be, it's like, you know, there is an effort to let it slow down a little bit to maybe we went too hard, too fast, you know, and did too much. And I definitely think they did. Like it was way too many things in the course of like four years, you know, it's just insane (laughs) what we can talk about over the course of four years. Right. Um, And, and they did like that plus the the lack of a plan. Maybe if you're going to do that kind of concentrated push, you need a little bit of that Marvel dust as far as saying, Here's what, here's what your through line is from a storytelling yeah. standpoint. Because the fact that, like, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson just kind of played tug-of-war with this trilogy and no, there was no real story. I mean, you know, as someone who enjoyed some scenes in those movies as much as any other Star Wars thing around, I still feel like when you, look, when you try to tell what the story is, it's like, boy, this, this is actually worse on paper than the prequels yeah. when it comes to that. Like, a to, point A to point B, to, you know, and so on. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the third movie in the trilogy had to kind of restart it and, like, come up with a new story almost entirely because the way the second yeah. movie ends is just not the kind of thing you would have planned out. So, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think that – I also think it's funny slowing down – Doing some of these things that Star Wars is built to do, such as maybe move away from the characters and scenarios that we know. I mean, we've talked about that, Ronald, I know, off mic before about just how much we want to see. Like, that's the reason that Star Wars Visions cartoon is looks like fun to, is because it looks like you can do a little bit of a, here's yeah. different worlds, here, here's different ideas. Stuff that doesn't have to be like load-bearing story that, that yeah. is connected to this saga. And I think it's weird that they didn't take that approach, honestly, more from the start of like creating yeah. new worlds and new scenarios. Areas, rather than, although yeah. I don't, in another way, it would have been silly not to lean on old stuff to get people involved. But what they did with the old stuff is so strange that now it's like, now they kind of have to move forward. Now people don't want to hear more about Luke Skywalker, you know? Yeah, and he's the yeah. only one they really have left that can play with. <clears throat> it's all, and I'm really, it all comes back to like, you know, and again, like I respect her opinion. She has like this history in the franchise. But it's just like, I don't know that she's saying anything new. You know what I mean? I think it's just like, let's just bring up another way of saying the things that have been said from the whole, basically the midpoint of this trilogy. You know, it's like, you just keep hearing the same thing, even after Star Wars as a franchise starts getting some wins post Rise of Skywalker. You just continue to hear the same point from person X who had some sort of involvement with the original trilogy or from Lucasfilm prior to the Disney acquisition. It's just a weird rehashing of yes. the same shit over and over again it's weird it's, it'd be like if you if you had like paul mccartney right and you're like here's here's a cover of eleanor rigby and you play it he'd be like this is bullshit i've never heard anything so bad this why are you playing this fuck you you know what i mean like i yeah. think that people dismiss the idea that you're precious with the things that you create i don't i don't yeah. think that people really think about that stuff sure i mean he probably didn't imagine being a billionaire or or million or, or let's say a hundred millionaire from Star Wars. You think that he thought that? You think that right now when he made those those movies, he's like, man, I'm gonna have a, a quarter million dollars in my bank account. Hell no, but he does a quarter and million. And some of dollars? that is a quarter, a quarter, a quarter billion, million. Okay. quarter billion, <laughs> quarter billion. He might have a quarter. 
I mean, call them white slavers. So yeah, I, no, that's true. That's true. One of my one of my favorite quotes of all time, by the way. Uh, well, uh, Ron, let, me, let me tell you something really quick, Ronald. Like sure. uh, your quarter of a billion, uh, uh, George Lucas's net worth is ten billion dollars. Okay, so let's say ten. <laughs> ten. Yeah, you billion. were you. Yeah, don't 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 get scared. You were on the right path when you said billion. Yeah, no, I thought he said million. That's why I thought it was funny. No, no, no. But no, I, I didn't realize hear... that, that that was one fortieth of what he actually has. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, but I don't anyway. know. Like, I don't know how accurate. Yeah, but it's probably it, it up there. It ranges between four and six, depending what source yeah. you look at. But regardless, he's on. he's set. He's a billionaire. Regardless, he's don't set. ever feel sorry for George Lucas, no matter what you do, yeah. as long as you live. <laughs> right. But this this is actually connected to a kind of secondary question I wanted to hit with you guys, which is like, okay, if we are kind of all in agreement that in a weird way this kind of clickbaity thing, it's like. Like when I saw the headline, it's like Marsha Lucas blasts Star Wars for not. I, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, "Oh, let me guess, Marsha, <laughs> you don't like the Star Wars movies you didn't yeah, work yeah. on." <laughs> but beyond that, what do you think about this trend? Every it's like every so often now they we, we talked about it most recently with Denis Villeneuve like being asked what he thinks about the MCU, and they always yeah. position it as like. Denny Villeneuve got up and, and like called a press conference and came out and said, yeah. fuck the MCU, God damn it. But no, what what really happens is at a junket to talk about his movie Dune, because yeah. he's uh, he's doing press, he'll answer questions. They they get them on these topics. I mean, I'm not saying that someone like him wouldn't have harsh opinions about movies he didn't make, but it is like the same kind of clickbait of like, let's see if we can make it seem like there's this animosity that may be there, but even if it's there, like, but the people that hate the Marvel movies most that work in Hollywood, you, you might not ever hear them say it and the people that say it are often people that are offering really mild criticisms it's like it's so weird to me and i don't know if it's the fan base or what it is that's like so touchy about anybody just saying i don't get it or it's not for me which is like yeah so obvious that a guy like denny villeneuve who was like oh gee would he have strong ideas about movies and therefore strong opinions about movies you know like to hear that paul thomas anderson kind of likes superhero movies is not that surprising and to hear that someone like yeah. denny villeneuve thinks that they're formulaic is not that surprising so i i guess i was just saying do you kind of link all that to that same thing of like let's get some headlines out of it let's get well let's get yeah. some, some dumb asses on a podcast to talk about it for 15 minutes you know <laughs> i mean it, it is clickbaity but like I think that people should be allowed to voice opinions like that. Denny saying what he said about Marvel movies. There's a population of people that feel like that. I, know. I think that I think that it's okay for him. And to what be he said like, wasn't even that harsh. All he really like, said is there's a template. You know. Yeah, there there is a template. Yeah, it feels very similar. There are there's a there's a color aesthetic that's very similar, especially coming from a person like him. When you watch his movies, and they clearly are so distinct. In their color palette and, and sounds and looks of people. It just is what it is, man. I mean, in the same interview, he said that they, they were really smart to hire Chloe Zhao for the Eternals. Yeah. So it's not like, again, he doesn't seem to be doubting the corporate instincts behind taking yeah. these jobs or making these movies. It just seems like, yeah, it's someone's idea of a headline. Just yeah. to say that, like, oh, look, the guy who made Dune, he's not a big Ant-Man fan. <laughs> like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> That's nuts. Anyway, but, the thing but that on, gets me the thing the thing that gets me about it like is that I feel like making comments like that. I mean, like obviously, I love Denny. Like, yeah, he's he's my he's our guy. He's my guy. Like, whatever. But I feel like those kinds of comments seem very uninformed, and I just have to assume that he hasn't seen these movies, right? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. You can yeah. say there is a template, and like they have an aesthetic, or they have like a, a look to them, or the the CGI has a you know it has a specific look to it or gloss to it. But to say they're all the same, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's a bit of a. Uh, I think that's just not true. Uh, uh, 
you know, and and I do like when this shit happens, like filmmakers kind of come out of the woodwork on Twitter and they're like, kind of not to defend Marvel, but they're like, and some of them are filmmakers that have worked with Marvel. Yeah. But I mean, they're like, you know, this seems like maybe he hasn't seen the movies. You know, he hasn't yeah. seen the movie that is like, you know, the, uh, you know, and going down the kind of genres that some of these movies hit, they don't all feel the same, you know, like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of superhero movies did before. I think they're, they have found a slot where, you know, the different movies, even there is a, a Marvel through line to them, they do feel like, you know, they have voices and like, you know, they have tones that are a bit different and i don't know i just i, I hate this stuff like i i i refuse to like kind of engage with it and um i do I'm sorry get, i made you I guess, talk about <laughs> no 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 no. i mean like you know when you see the articles posting yeah. and people like just going after each other on, on, on social yeah. media i just go right past it but i just feel like you know it is a little it'll it is a little shitty to kind of corner somebody into talking about it and i mean they could just be like i don't really have anything to say about it Mm -hmm. Or they can make a comment like that. And this is a filmmaker who's pretty outspoken about, you know, the art of cinema and like the theatrical experience. And the fact that those movies are taking over the theatrical experience is um, it, 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 it's a, it could simply be more of like a shots fired attempt at like, you know, defending the other big movies like Dune and yeah. like yeah. Tenet yeah. and like movies that these filmmakers are banging drums for that just seem to be, completely overshadowed by marvel and dc and you know specifically marvel really but well, you know who else um, recently Danny, said love Danny, though you know who else recently said a very similar thing is james gunn in an interview he said that superhero movies have started to bore him a little bit and he said that there are still ones that are unique but that for right. him it's not the genre of superhero film that he's into it's like certain characters that he can see what to do with so i mean sure. i don't think james gunn got crucified for saying that um and the other thing about that too is i think that like there's this whole thing with like with like someone like dilly villeneuve denny villeneuve like it reminds me of the scorsese conversation with what you were saying uh, steve which is that okay martin scorsese okay you don't like marvel movies we can't we kind of expected that but when the criticism became these movies aren't about the characters they're just about the explosions and i've heard a lot of people say that about the marvel movies oh these movies are about the action sequences not the characters and i want to be like well no actually you've got it completely backwards the people that love these yeah. movies are in it for the characters and they sometimes tolerate middle of the road computer generated action sequences to get Absolutely to the character true. interactions that they like and yeah. i was like okay so once again it's a case of you sound like you maybe have seen a few of these, you know, maybe he watched yeah. or maybe he watched the word, the wrong ones for your taste. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's true that generalizations don't really apply, even though these movies do kind of have a similar style to them that you right. can't just make right. a sweeping generalization without, without knowing what you're talking about. Yeah. It's just what it feels like the people like there's, there's some of my friends I can't get to watch superhero movies and, and no matter how different the trip, I'll show them a trip. They're like, this looks like the last thing you sent me. It, it just is what it is like there there's a it feels like that to them like it, yeah. it just it does it's like how many of these things can i see they all kind of feel the same to me but i don't feel like that but that's yeah just just saying what an outside but no true true it's what people feel like it's what people feel it doesn't mean it's true though doesn't mean it's true well, when you're saying like, no, no, this one really feels different. This one actually has its own kind of style to it. And they're like, yeah. what's that? And you're like, that's a talking raccoon. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> you're going to love him. <laughs> you're going to love this character. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Right. Um, other good news. There's, there is good news afoot. Um, Illumination um, and Nintendo 
are collaborating. This is good news. This is good news. No, I'm I'm upbeat about anything that makes you happy. Yeah, man. Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. There's a there's a there's a movie coming out. Get this thing, man. Illumination who does uh God dude, Jesus, what have they done? They done the Minions movies and Despicable Me. Sing, Despicable Me. Solid films. Super Mario Brothers is coming. Let me tell you some of the stars of this film. Chris Pratt will be Mario. I don't say Mario. I don't say Carmel either. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy <laughs> will be <laughs> Princess Peach. Charlie Day will be Luigi. Jack Black will be Bowser. Keegan-Michael Key will be Toad. And Seth Rogen will be inserted randomly into a Mario Brothers movie as Donkey Kong. And if anybody knows, like... Donkey Kong isn't in the Mario Brothers games at all, really. Uh, but it'd be cool, man, that they're putting these together. I mean, hearing those voice actors makes me think: Do they have some kooky concept worked up for this that I just don't? I think they do, um, man. I just don't know because that's like a murderer's row of pretty funny people. Yeah, like yeah, normally yeah. Chris Pratt would be the funny one, and I would be thinking, "Ugh, I don't know if I like that wisecracking leading man version of Chris Pratt that makes it into these kind of tentpole movies every time." Yeah, yeah. But the people he's surrounded by. Yeah. I'm like, well, actually, maybe we will get funny Pratt. And also, should they have hired somebody Italian? I don't know. I don't know if we're that far yet into the <laughs> you know representation thing. But you know, is right, he going right. to be going like Mamma Mia and all that kind of shit? You know, I actually don't think they should have even bothered getting famous people to do this movie. I feel like this this go- I feel like this movie is going to sell itself. I I bet you know I've have a an issue with this about. Celebrities just get cats for the sake of. Oh being no, cats. voice actors! I always think about like really great voice actors yes. who never get like high profile roles because Zac Efron is willing to do it. Yeah, know? what is like Cree Summer from a different world who plays a voice of like hundreds and hundreds of characters? She's like, I could have played a cool mm-hmm. character in this movie, and she's well, not. Billy West was someone who I was like surprised never popped up like in a big Pixar role or something like that. You it's know? crazy, man. But anyway. yeah, it's exciting. Um, looking forward to that. It's coming out December 2022. So, Very cool. Yeah, man. All right, um, let's move on to... Uh, wait, did you have something else? Or no, that's, that's it. Okay. That's it. That's it for me. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's jump into... Uh, what do you got? The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Let's jump into the eyes of Tammy jump Faye. Jump into her eyes. Tammy yeah. Faye's eyes. So I just want to so say, off, is... the, off the first off, does do you ever get used to the makeup watching this movie? Because the makeup was very off-putting to me watching the trailer. <clears throat> um, certain parts of the movie, I think yeah. it kind of it kind of fades away and definitely. Yeah. But but then I get but then you know, there are certain scenes where like I think it's it's distracting and uh, some of it's really good and some of it's like it's just distracting and yeah. uh, you can't or at least I speak for myself I couldn't really look past it. Yeah. Uh, as a whole, though, I don't think it's an issue. I mean, like, you know, I think I think it's kind of playing up the, the you know, uh, you know, a character in real life who was kind of known for this kind of stuff and looked like this. Maybe not the, you know, the, the makeup. The prosthetics, the prosthetics by and, the way. Know, I'm talking about, I should have been clear yeah, yeah, that yeah. I meant the prosthetics, not the, the makeup. The make, you know, the prosthetics is what we're just, yeah, specifically, you know, trying to hit. But, I mean, I think at some points, like, you know, it kind of is possibly played up intentionally um mm. in certain scenes like yeah. in some of the sequences where they're like filming the show and things like that it's a little jarring um or distracting whichever um what did what did you think of that ronald just that specifically since john asked before we get into the movie um i remember watching tammy faye 
Uh, I'm going to say, unfortunately, only because of the volume of Tammy Faye that we watched. Uh, my grandma's from South Carolina, Church Channel, just like all day, 300 Club and Tammy Faye and Joel. 700 Club. 700 Club. No, they they watched a, Club? a different one. It was <laughs> Yeah, 300 off. Club. Like 300 the Club. The <laughs> 700 Club <laughs> and a 300 Club. Uh, yeah, but it was very much like... She looked like that, but yeah, obviously the prosthetic to make her face look like Tammy Faye, <laughs> yeah, is it's not just her though; it's her husband as well. Like it, there's, it's like they're all yeah. They have they both have kind of odd. It's like a biopic choice, right? Are you going to put it, rubber on their face to make them look more like the person, or are you just going to let acting do its job? You know. Do you remember college yes. humor? College humor when uh like there was a sweet spot where there was like they were making like original things. Yeah. I feel like the tone of the makeup and some of the acting felt like some of that stuff that was coming out around that time where they were like recruiting actual comedic actors to do stuff. Mm-hmm. There's something about something about the tone of the makeup combined with the tone of the movie that just What'd you think about the movie in general, Steve? Like, just um, I I really liked the movie personally. Um, yeah, I I I I really like Michael Showalter as a director, and this is a, his, his you know another effort from him. And uh, we talk about it all the time on the podcast. I love Jessica Chastain, yeah, and same. I think mm-hmm. it's probably it's one of her best performances. I think um, it's she is like all in on this total commitment, off the wall character. She does all the, you know, the, she sings all the songs like that, you know. So good, by the way. Yeah, like pretty, pretty comparable. But I mean, I just think that, you know, for a biopic, um, admittedly, like, and I, I'm kind of the opposite. Like, I don't really have much of a, I've, I've never really had much exposure to really a lot of religion in, in general. And especially not like the televangelists, like these, these characters, like I know the names. Um, and I, I saw the doc that this is based on that came out uh a while back mm-hmm. um but you know that's kind of been my exposure to it so you know kind of seeing this feature version of that doc um you know and knowing that like one of my favorite actresses is playing that character that's really what pulled me to it but i just a wild story and i mean it's just like another example of you know the the the, the crazy um i don't know man just like how crazy the religious the business of religion is in yes. uh in, in America, in the world, but in America specifically, um, you know, seeing the ins and outs of, of the, the creation and the uh, kind of like the growth of these television networks and the idea of like how this money is used and abused and, um, you know, these like protections that they have, you know, financially from the gut, all that stuff, like where it falls in, in its place in the movie. I think is really interesting um, and again, gives me perspective that I didn't have, but as a, as a movie itself, I found it really entertaining. I thought the pacing was really good. I think they're both really good together. Um, I would say if anything's a little more distracting than her kind of makeup or prosthetics, I thought Andrew Garfield was a little more to me distracting, um, but I thought he was still, I thought he was good in the movie though. Yeah. All, really all the performances like Vincent D'Onofrio pops up in, 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 in a role um, as Jerry Falwell and, uh, I thought he was really good. I don't know. I, I it's one of those kind of like biopics that just coasted for me. Like I feel like it just played really, really quick, really efficient, and it had that 
you know, balance of, you know, there's definitely humor, some dark humor, uh, some drama and, uh, just the performance that Chastain kind of puts out is really the takeaway The really, the, the best part of the movie is for sure her. And, um, I don't know. I thought it was, I was really entertained by, it. I, I liked it quite a bit actually. I mean, it looks like a lot well, of fun. What about it you? looks kind of wild, so I'm glad to hear that it, it is actually sort it of is. fun. It's, it's really wild. The, the, the thing about this movie is like, the one thing that gets me is the tone of it. Like, it doesn't feel like a biopic that I've seen before. Um, to, for real, like, it feels so heightened. It feels heightened. But in the end, you feel everything that she's going through. And that's what got me. At first, I'm like, I don't know how I feel right. about this. But you're feeling everything that Tammy Faye's going through. You feel everything. You feel all the emotions that are kind of put on the screen. And in the end, I I, I was rooting for, the, you know, there's something about women who are in, in these positions that are so fucking against them and making it work yeah. on their terms. Like, seeing her do that. And I remember like how big she was. I remember how big she was and the impact. I didn't know that about the 700 Club. I didn't know that that was previously their show. Yeah. So the 700 Club used to be Tammy Faye and her husband's show. Well, actually, primarily her husband's show that was taken over. I did not know that. It, it taught me some cool things. Like, uh, right. But overall, yeah. In the end, you will, if you, if you, for anybody that wants to see it, when you first get into it, the tone can be a little jarring at first. But if you relax and just let ride it out, it's it's worth the experience. It, it's one of the better biopics that I've seen. It felt like in the end, I'm like, God, she was an amazing woman who fought who fought for what she wanted, who really tried to make a place in the world. And I love stories like that, especially in America. Did you ever I see that, that. Do documentary that was actually called The Eyes of Tammy Faye? From no, no, I never saw the documentary, man. I mean, I, I was trying to think of what the name of that was, and I had to look it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was called, I thought <laughs> it, I thought it was The Eyes of Tammy <laughs> right, Faye. Right, right. <clears throat> but like, yeah, yeah, no. It, it was very, really it was very sympathetic in terms of its portrayal yeah, her. of her, yeah. and she had become yeah. kind of a tabloid joke persona before that, and the sort of person yeah. you'd see clips of on Talk Soup and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and so I remember her feeling, if not redeemed by that movie, but feeling like, oh yeah, there's she's got something to her. There's something like I don't know. I'm in my mind. I'm thinking of like pop cultural figures like Rick, Richard Simmons or people like that who who you can tell have there's trouble, but there's something really inspiring, and there's also something about them that is a there's something pure that people latch onto yeah. about certain people, and, and yeah. yeah, the fact that she was connected to all this unsavory stuff and kind of a joke. So I kind of think this. I mean, to, when you say what type of biopic it is, it makes sense that it would be one of those where you can have a little bit of humor because the, the bad things that happen are only so bad. Com I mean, you know, we're not talking about like full right. on, like the the crime that happens is 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 scandalous, but not. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, at least I don't know of any like violent uh, or abusive crime that goes on. But maybe Jim was abusive for. I don't know if that's if that's part of the story. But even something like I, Tanya, no, was that the name of that? I, Tanya? Yeah. yeah. Uh, th that got really dark. Something like this feels like it can stay a little bit on the lighter side of something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it is it lighter than it, I, Tanya, it, it or gets, is, it, is it similar to I, Tanya? It gets really dark, man. It, but it, it primarily is about her relationship with her, her mom that gets really dark. Okay, um, yeah. Just There's just... 
Yeah, it, it, I'm not gonna give anything away, but yeah, it, it gets it gets it's it's not violent, but it is violent verbally, and it, yeah. it does get kind of weird, like just seeing a person making their way in a space where you really weren't supposed to. Somebody didn't have those ex- expectations for you. Mm-hmm. Tammy Faye is an interesting figure. I remember her being on um, that reality TV show. And that that that's when her life kind of took like that was talk soup height, but she was uh it was like Vern Troyer and Oh, a the surreal other, life the where they're all living life. in a house yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, it's like I can't believe that we time. watched probably every every episode of that. <laughs> yeah. So that time Flavor Flavor was, was when I remember. Time. Yeah, yeah. The rotating characters. Sherman and Helmsley wasn't he on? Sherman <laughs> Yes. Sherman Helmsley. Um and that was like this Tammy Faye really at the height of parody at that time yeah and i remember clips seeing clips of her and being like she seems like a really nice person like i don't understand why anyway it was it was a solid biopic man i'd i'd suggest yeah anybody yeah i I would definitely recommend it yeah i'm excited to see it i tried to see it It, we need to one day figure out what's up with my uh my access to these screeners because it's that one particular screener app um yeah that's a little inside baseball though for your listeners but i should (laughs) have seen this this movie too um, <clears throat> but this is a recommend then it sounds like absolutely. absolutely I would definitely and, I, and again like I, I think the I think there's a I don't know what's coming down the pike in terms of performances but I wouldn't be shocked if, if her name kind of stays around uh, you know if this movie has any kind of presence or push like they could definitely make a push for her for some sort of award consideration I think yeah the, the, the real for her for this uh, for this movie is pretty pretty big in terms of what they could push her for, but I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a recommend for me. Yeah, man. Well, I do um, love Jessica Chastain, so I'm totally willing to believe she, so, she does something. She's so good. She does she's something so amazing. I, I am a little opposed to putting rubber on people's faces when when it makes them look kind of freakish, but yeah. uh, you know, I believe that she can act her way through that stuff. So yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. All right. Uh, so yeah, that's in theaters now. I'm not sure if that's doing like any kind of that's a Fox. Uh, well, Searchlight Pictures now, not Fox. Searchlight Pictures uh, title. So I'm not sure what their uh, window is for theatrical, if it's standard 45 days, but you could probably check it out on uh, like IMDb or something. But if it is in theaters now, if that sounded interesting to you, uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye is out now. So the other movie, uh, or series rather, that I mentioned at the top that we're going to talk a little bit about just briefly, and I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, like once we were able to see the, the, the entirety of the series and, and Ronald's able to check it out, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it, but um, Netflix's new series, Midnight Mass, comes out today. Um, this is a series from Mike Flanagan and Intrepid Pictures, um, his production company, um, that basically is just the newest Netflix series. He's done The Haunting of uh, Bly Manor, Haunting of uh, Haunting of Hill House, and um, beyond that, you know, we we love him. You know, in, in general, like all the movies he's kind of put out. Most recently, Doctor Sleep. Uh, we were all big fans of, but this one seems to be, and from what I watched of the Q and a after this event last night, definitely even even interviews he's been posting, you know, this is definitely like a passion project that he has kind of like been uh, going at for the better part of a decade. Um, right wow. after basically they um, had finished doing uh, Oculus, his feature film, you know, he kind of had, had, had kind of cracked the first version of this script and, you know, kind of shopped it a bit and, you know, basically got turned down everywhere um, that they tried to kind of push it as a series, I believe. Um, and, you know, here we are roughly 10 years later 
And it's a big title for Netflix. It's a big title for Mike Flanagan, for everybody involved. And I think it just is something that hopefully keeps the ball rolling for him. And it does you know, seem like he's only getting bigger and bigger in terms of the respect that he gains from general audiences. And I think people that are Netflix subscribers, you know, it seems that, you know, they know that they, they see that name, they see those properties. And these are some of the, the, the most well-received and most viewed series that they put out, the, the Haunting of series. Um, and I have no doubt that Midnight Mass was probably going to end up being the same. Um, but yeah, so again, there was an event that they kind of posted, uh, I think it was Tuesday night or Monday night. Um, there was some like tweet that went out about like, watch this space at this time. And they basically opened this thing up for like, I want to say it was 1500 entries that they were going to pick for, for like a special, uh, live stream event, uh, last night. So this would have been Wednesday night, um, online where they basically intro the film uh, him and trevor macy the other uh, partner at intrepid pictures um they introduced the series um first two episodes aired back to back and then they did like a, a zoom q a uh afterwards so thankfully i submitted myself and uh, my wife's email address <laughs> and then they both got selected so yeah threw it in the air john john was able to use it and, and check out the first two episodes with me so i had to pose um, your wife which th- they asked me yeah. some pretty pretty i thought inappropriate questions but i think i did all right <laughs> but, but but i prepped you well right yeah like, right <laughs> yeah good 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 i mean this kind of thing is really cool because this isn't like a press kind of thing this is mm-hmm. like a like a this isn't like an advanced thing that we got through any kind of pr group that we talked to this was purely like them trying to get some fans in to see this show a little early to, to, to talk it up a bit and to you know start sharing the word uh, or the gospel of the, yeah, uh, midnight spreading mass. the gospel of midnight mass. So, I didn't think about the kind of you know you were talking about not knowing much about religion because you didn't weren't brought up with a lot of religion when you were talking yeah. about eyes of Tammy Faye and I was like oh wait a minute you could you could you know this is a very religious episode of uh, <laughs> of movie schmovie yeah uh, the, the movie and the schmovie we've ever done um, <laughs> but uh, no I think you're movie I think you know all the stuff we love about Mike Flanagan I mean knowing that this is like a passion project of his like I I honestly had I had followed. The press about this and remember him talking about it and i all i knew about this one was people had said this was like a horror idea that really goes there and really like leans on the sort of darker side of horror whereas he's right. been lauded criticized however you look at it different people had a different reaction to how the haunting of series both of those end much more on a humanistic character-based note rather than about the scares necessarily and he had said in interviews right. that you know he had one idea that to him was a much more kind of an ugly ending that didn't that he didn't feel compelled to you know a lot writers will tell you they go where the story takes them and if a story seems to be right. going in an upbeat place for characters a lot of times that's just a kindness for an audience like you get to the end of a season of the like the haunting of hill house it would have felt horrible to have all of these characters uh left in dismay you kind of want there to be some light yeah. at the end of the tunnel sometimes sure. but other stories are built in a different way so i'm intrigued whether he stayed with that idea or not i'm intrigued by that aspect of midnight mass it does feel there's a kind of starkness to it. And just the two episodes we were able to see, they, they fit right in with what you might like about Mike Flanagan's style. And in fact, you can start to see little stylistic ticks and hiccups that are sort of his things now. And it's kind of fun. I don't know. It's like watching a new Spielberg movie or something for me, where it's yes. just like, here's a guy whose style I love and his way of dealing with characters I love and who I honestly, above all, trust that he's going to give me like payoffs of emotional stuff that's happening and of the absolute 
horror that might be coming. And there's a couple of brief moments in the two episodes we saw that really did fulfill the horror side of it. And as far as the emotional side of it, I think it's starting to get there. I, you know, it feels like a couple of slow burn episodes. I definitely wanted to watch the third one at the end of the I second know, one. Um, I think it was wise to maybe show people too. I think at the end of the first movie, uh, the first episode, it might have felt more like that was an odd little taste. But this was more like you, you're, the hooks are a little bit more in you. And there's one particular character that is just... I can't wait to see what is up with this character, like what this character has in store for everybody else, because they kind of seem to be yeah. maybe the, the real wild card here. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I mean, as a Flanagan fan and as someone who's ready, this, this is that time of year where you want something you can really spend some time with. And I've loved yep. having those, yep. those haunting of shows where you can spend several hours and really get into the mood and it's coming just at the right time of the year. So thank you, Netflix. And thank you, uh, <laughs> Mike Flanagan. Um, <laughs> Uh, are, are there standout performers or moments or anything that you want to allude to, Steve, without without saying too much? Because we don't really know that much, honestly, from what we've seen. Yeah, I'll say we, we don't really know enough to really know, really. Uh, but, I mean, I, I really like uh, Zach Guilford uh, a lot. I mean, I don't think he's in enough stuff. Most people will know him as Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights, QB4. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's nice to see him in this. And so far, I've been really into, into his performance. And... Uh, I like the idea of just like, you know, what Flanagan does in terms of kind of he keeps this like stable of actors, this family of actors that he kept calling, you know, in this Q&A that I watched after the screening, like, you know, just people that he continues to work with in uh, the very, you know, the various projects that he has. So, you know, you see some new faces in this, just like we saw new faces in Bly Manor, but some of those faces from Bly Manor you'll see in this. And, you know, from Hill House you saw in Bly Manor and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, you'll see faces like Henry Thomas in this and, you know, his and uh, uh, what's his wife's name? Katie, Katie, Katie Siegel, Siegel, Siegel. Um, she's in this as well um, from Bly Manor. One of the guys who I thought was just really good in Bly Manor. Uh, Raul Colley is in here as like the sheriff of the town. Hamish Linklater like, is, is amazing. I'm, I've, I've started he, to yeah, really love that guy. And like, he was great in Legion. He was fun on Fargo when he popped up there. And he's he's really got some interesting stuff to do here, too. So. And and he's like and he's the other one of like these new faces that like are new to this Flanagan uh, family where you know you just like you hear him gushing about the two of them in this in the Q and A that was after this thing, and you know it's kind of cool to, to to feel like you know we'll probably see these guys in other Flanagan properties and other things that he does, which is exciting because you know I just love seeing anything you know he does, and I and I agree with what John was saying. I mean it, it, it's just a taste. Um, to be able to see these two episodes almost to a detriment where I'm like texting John afterwards, like I kind of <laughs> wish I didn't watch the first two because now I just want to watch all of them and I have to wait two days now or three days or whatever it is. There's seven um, episodes total, right? Is that what I heard? Seven, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, ultimately it does feel like something that he's been building to. It does feel like something that is, you know, it, it, it feels totally original. Um, it's something that is just something, you know, he's been wanting to do for a long time. It's something that he's even had in other movies, like in Hush and Gerald's Game. You know, people have been pointing out that, like, he has the Midnight Mass book in those movies in shots. So this wow. is the story that he's been trying to tell. And he even said at one point that, like, he considered like doing this as a novel at one point. Like, that, that's why he kind of has it in the movies as a novel. But um, kind of always saw it as a, a television series. So it's awesome that with the cloud that he got, through his relationship with Netflix that it's able to be realized there. But it's just this awesome thing of like this world building, this little Island, this, this crocodile Island is, you know, is what it's called. 
And, you know, you, you just get to quickly meet even over the course of two episodes. Like, basically, you have a geography of the town. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. You know, the idea of space and, like, where you are and what is where and who lives here. And you, you kind of get that really fast. And he's really mm. good at that. And, like, John talked about some of the trademark things that he does. You know, from Dr. Sleep, one of the coolest shots was, like, that aerial, like, kind of shot where the girl is kind of uh, shining. And, you know, it's like this look of her, like, flying over the town and everything. And there's even something in this in, in one of the episodes that we saw where there's like a similar, you know, shot of like it looks like a you know a diorama almost of yeah. the town, and it's like this awesome filmmaking at, 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 at it taking place, and it's just like that that looks like a Mike Flanagan shot, yeah. And it's an example that I thought of when you said that. Also, and, um, like racking the shot so that it goes like ninety degrees, it, it, it and turns laying with the down character. is kind of sideways, and and the way of dealing with maybe ghosts or memories that's like very visual that is familiar too. Yeah. I want to mention, uh, but when we're talking about performances, I, I don't want to not mention. Uh, Robert Longstreet, who was so great in The Haunting of Hill House and yes, memorable yes, in Doctor one. Sleep, but man, just in the first two episodes of this, like if there's a character who I'm kind of worried about and kind of feel for, it's this this guy. Um, yeah, and he brings a lot to it. So yeah, it's full of that kind of thing. That if you liked those shows, I think you might like this. But also, I think even if you didn't, this this does have something different for it. I think the milieu being, like you said, Steve, this different kind of community that's isolated, not a lot of people, yeah. almost has the feel of like a Western, where it's like, yeah. oh, you're back in town, Jake. You know, so it's got this kind of feel of like all this story, like whatever this person left behind in this town that doesn't even necessarily seem to be connected to whatever's coming to town. So it's like there's a there's like a soap opera worthy family saga that's that's cooking there on top of this whatever this horror that might be happening and yeah henry thomas i thought was really great and really understated in the episodes we saw too playing yeah. a little playing a little older which does that make you assume there's going to be some flashbacks at some point when you when you have two or three actors Probably. who are wearing Probably. obvious old age makeup yeah yeah aged up so, definitely right anyway um, a lot of fun yeah, i don't know man like it's it's the first two episodes i thought were great i mean i definitely when that second one stopped i was like you know wanting more immediately which is you know, was spoiled with the binge model now. Um, but mm. yeah, I'm very excited to see the rest of them. I can't wait for you to check it out, Ronald, uh, to catch up. And, you know, hopefully we can all check them out over the, you know, the first week and you know, maybe even talk a little bit about that when we come back with another episode. But again, you know, we say it all the time, but I, I'm so excited for what comes from Mike Flanagan and what he has coming up. And um, he really does feel like a special a special filmmaker, you know, like he's one of the two or three that we always kind of put in that, that, that reference point. But I just really do feel like he's batting a thousand for me. Like he's mm. just so consistent um, for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there's something about the way he builds these stories, these, these stories uh, around people and feelings and, and memories. And there's all these things that feel so relatable and to be able to put it in, in the context of like a horror or a suspense or a thriller you know, I don't think it's easy to do, but he seems to do it with some sort of ease. And I don't think it's easy for him, but it just comes off so effortless, effortless. And, uh, man, I, I can't wait to see the rest of the show. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of Netflix and horror, too, by the way, next Wednesday, the movie No One Gets Out Alive comes out, which is based on an Adam Neville book. And oh, I saw you. Yeah, wrote, I saw that's you the guy who wrote that. the book The Ritual that that... Um, uh, movie, movie was based yeah. on and it's the same production house basically it's Andy Serkis's 
you know, production house that made that movie oh, wow. that's also responsible for this one. And um, that book was horrifying. And this movie, the trailer looks like, you know how horror trailers can be kind of like, oh, they, they market certain similar things over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie has some more original things cooking in it than you might guess from the trailer just because they don't want to get into it. But just the setup of like a boarding house where you're kind of financially strapped and you're stuck in this situation and like you can't really work your way out of it. It's a little. It's that similar, similar to that thing you hear about how poverty makes you poorer and being rich makes you richer yeah. because people cut mm. you breaks when you have money and when you're poor you get fined constantly and so you're you're now you owe what you owed plus fines and you can never pay it back. The way this in the book, the way this girl gets stuck in this house that she's trying to get out of and she's trying to make enough money to like pay rent to get out of and it's just a bad situation. I think they're they're piling it in with like uh, immigrant populations in the movie is going to it's going to deal with the ideas of like you know your powerlessness is magnified by the fact that you're an immigrant in this place um right anyway it just and the actor i don't know his name off the top of my head but he was good in um the outsider we've liked him in a few things he seems to be playing the heavy in this um he was like the possessed guy in that oh yeah 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 Anyway, and the character uh, he's playing in this is a very, very creepy character in the book. So yeah, I would just say, not having seen it, but just having a hunch that it might be something special. No One Gets Out Alive comes out uh, Wednesday the 29th, I think, on mm. uh, whatever it is, next Wednesday on, uh, on Netflix. Yeah, 29th. Yeah, I got, yeah, that looks good. The trailer was pretty good. Cool. Cool, man. Did, did, did you see anything else, Ronald? I know you usually see a few other little stragglers you'd like Wanna to Want to give us a speed round before we wrap it up? What did I see? Oh, I I finished Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, and I liked it. Okay, see, I need to. I think I'm gonna rewatch it. I think I'm gonna rewatch it. See if I picked up on stuff as it was going along. But oh, it's one yeah. of those. Okay, cool. Where where something? Yeah, something some changes. Okay, that's cool. Something, something is afoot. Maybe I'm into it. <laughs> I'm curious. But yeah, I mean that's it. Nothing, nothing really else. I, I started the festival stuff. I wanted, I'm super excited about a film that I saw, but I can't wait to talk about that in two weeks. Yeah. That's exciting. But yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Let, let's remind point. everybody again, we, we, we won't have an episode next we week. We will not be here. Uh, it's a week off, and then we'll be back on October, uh, October 8th. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about a whole lot of stuff. It'll mm-hmm. be a super-sized episode, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're listening and you want us to cover a particular movie, I put a post up on the Twitter and there's a link to Fantastic Fest. If you find something, you're just like, hey, I'm, this isn't coming out for a year. Tell us how it is. Let us know. That'd be pretty cool because I'd love to prioritize some movies based on you know ones that people are interested in knowing information about. Yeah. Yeah, like like send up the uh, send up the alert. Like, tell me how this movie is. Yeah, and we'll try to check it out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Also, just we have no integrity. We will talk about whatever people want us to talk about. We, yeah, we, we crave we'll, attention. We'll go back to in the time machine and get Pogs. Remember Pogs from back in the day with Slammer? We'll go back and get those and review those. I have a whole new yeah. chance with Pogs. I missed them the last time around. Now I can get oh. into Pogs. So this is great. Yeah, man. Is this going to become you a podcast? <laughs> by, by by the next episode, we'll be announcing Illumination's new Pog movie. Where um... <laughs> how crazy would that be if they made We're like, like uh, with the all ten these best comedians shots? in Hollywood are, are doing voices? <laughs> did, I, did I just give away Movie Studios' next hit film? <laughs> You did, man. Damn it. Damn it. We didn't secure the right we didn't secure the rights yet. I shouldn't have said anything. 
Damn. Uh, yeah, where they cast every huge yeah comedian that there is out yeah. there. What was oh our big hit was thrice was it thrice Bigelow? <laughs> People go back and find the Schmovie Studios movie game episode, and you'll know what we're talking about. We should do another one of those. That made me laugh <laughs> I mean, so hard. That was that funny. That was funny. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that'll be the episode uh, today. We'll uh, check in in two weeks. Until then, you can go, like John said, go back and find that episode, Schmovie Studios. You know, find the catalog at movieschmovie.com. You can go back and listen to all of our episodes. You can jump on to whatever podcast platform you prefer to listen to podcasts on and subscribe if you're not already subscribed. And if you are, go back to that platform and make sure you've uh, left us a review or some sort of rating if that's uh, an option for you. We'd appreciate mm. that. Um, and if it's not, most of those apps have a little share button, like, you know, that little square with the arrow pointing up. If you hit that guy and Shoot like it. just text, text the link to like a random person, mm. just pick somebody in your contact list. It's the see easy, how it Steve. goes. It's this easy. Do you see the, <laughs> see the angle here? See how my fingers like. That's it. That's it. <laughs> just do it. Few things are that simple. So that's, that's what they're not doing. It. For let's us, try it. You know? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Do it. Um, but yeah, check it out. Subscribe. All the socials.com slash movie movie. I hit up the YouTube and check out some episodes there as well. If you, if you prefer the video element of it, um, that is available for you to watch. <laughs> right, Ronald? Is yes. That, isn't that what it is? You watch YouTube, right? You watch. Yes. It. You watch okay, so just much. Making, just making sure what Hell the kids yeah. do. They watch Hell the yeah. YouTube. I thought they, they fired watch. it up. <laughs> they fired yeah, I always it, up. Fire it up. They said, hey, let's fire up YouTube and peep yeah. some vids. <laughs> That's actually with a what they sideways do. hat with a hat. <laughs> with a sideways hat. I'm glad you knew that. I was trying. I was going for sideways hat energy, and not down on my head either. Kind of like very. No, like, no, just very like yeah. loosely headed sideways. Yeah, I'm good absolutely times, ready good for times. this. Yay, YouTube. Uh, all right, cool. Well, we'll see you guys in two weeks. And as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye, John three sixteen. <laughs>